we've been all through October looking at scripture passages that have to do with the light and the dark, darkness and the light. Um, it's pretty easy to see the darkness that's out there in the world. I'm sure if I ask for examples that all of you could throw out examples from news headlines or things that you've witnessed, evidence that as a world, we are in the midst of a very real darkness, you know, disease and death and sin and crime and chaos and just evil, wickedness in the world that we live in. Um, there's also darkness within the church. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. I think next Sunday, if the Lord wills, and if this is what he indeed guides me toward, we'll talk about some of that darkness that's out there in the world. But today, I think he wants to address us as church folks. And he wants to address a different sort of darkness. Um, sometimes the darkness that's out there in the world is obvious and it's worn on people's sleeves, but sometimes the darkness that's within the church is more subtle and difficult to put our fingers on. And what I mean will become clear as we go. But um, I want us to pray again. I know we have been praying a lot. We pray a lot during our services. I want us to pray again, and I would appreciate it if you would pray. And let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Let this not just be me delivering a talk or speech. What a worthless waste of time that would be for all of us. We want to hear from God through his word. So would you bow with me? Father, I believe I represent your people who are here this morning when I ask that, that you would speak to us and when I tell you that we submit ourselves to your word now. Lord, give us soft hearts to receive it. Give us ears to hear it. Give us eyes to see your glory through your word. Help us to listen and, and absorb it and be changed by it and help me to serve your people well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Gives me great comfort to know that you're in this with me, that we're praying through this together. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 1. And I do want you to have your Bibles open for this one. I haven't put any scripture up here today because we are going to be bouncing back and forth so much. Between John chapter 3, John chapter 3 verses 19 through 21... In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So kind of get both of those spots open to where you can flip back and forth easily. And take your time finding it. They're both in the New Testament toward the back of the Bible. John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 1. It can be very easy as a church to get a bunker mentality when we see things going on in our culture that um, are obviously darkness, are obviously wrong, we can easily bunker down together and have a, an us and them mentality as though they are the ones who have to deal with sin and we are the holy ones. And I think the Lord wants to remind us this morning that we're all born with this disease of sin. And it's only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ that any of us are saved. And then those of us who are saved are then called as ambassadors to everyone else. Like we said last week, which um, was, it was a misquote of someone else who said something similar, but we are all formerly blind people 
who now get to try to tell everyone else where to find sight and where to find light. So in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. We're going to be studying the passage immediately after what I read at the beginning of the service. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Now, don't anybody else try that technique to get carried out of here. You have to stay and listen. John chapter 3, uh, it has the most famous verse in all the Bible, probably the most memorized verse in the Bible. Can I guess what that verse is? John three sixteen. that's right. I'm sure many of you could quote it. Um, but we often forget who Jesus is talking to during this section of Scripture. He's talking to this man, Nicodemus, that we met during the reading at the beginning of the service. And he was a Pharisee, which the Pharisees were the religious elite of the, the Jewish religion during Jesus' time. So Nicodemus would have been a very upright religious Jew that Jesus was talking to. So the message we're going to read in John chapter 3 is given, given to someone who was considered to be one of God's people. One of the very best, if you could say that, of God's people. And then over in 1 John, this is written by the same man who wrote John, but to a church. So that what we're going to read in 1 John is also written to believers or at least people who were associated with a church or a group of churches. Okay, so everything we're going to read is written to us as believers or as people associated with Christianity and the church. We're on the same page about that before we launch in. There is darkness within the church. Okay, we are a a bunch of sinful people who are gathered together to be saved by Jesus Christ. So we bring all of our imperfections, all of our bad habits from our, our former life as unbelievers We bring all that into the equation. So we shouldn't expect church to be perfect. There's too many people in it. It's never going to be perfect. There is darkness within the church. There's darkness within our church. Okay, there there is. And that's what we're going to address today. And I have a, a threefold invitation from the darkness into the light. A threefold invitation. I want you to hear this as Jesus speaking this to you. Okay. First, let me read the two passages. We'll start with 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And now John chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, 
and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the first of the threefold invitation is this. Jesus wants to invite you and me and us from hiding into exposure. So Jesus is inviting us from hiding into exposure. I'm going to read John 3, 19 through 20 one more time. This is the judgment. The light, the true light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, when you think of wickedness and evil, what comes into your mind? You don't have to say it out loud, but just I'm curious. When you think of wickedness and evil, if you're like me, the very most blatant of evils comes to mind. You think, you know, ISIS, you think the Nazis, you think murder, you think of the worst things, the blatant evil, the blatant wicked. But there's very real evil and wickedness that comes in a much more subtle form and a much more difficult to put your finger on form. Now, remember when Jesus said this in John chapter three, who was he talking to? You can say Nicodemus. And what was Nicodemus? A Pharisee. Pharisees were very religious folks. These were not folks who were going around murdering people and selling drugs and, you know, doing obviously terrible things. I don't even know if they had drug dealers back then. But they were filled with wickedness and evil. They were filled with it. Let me read you a passage from Matthew chapter 23 to give you an idea of what sort of evil and wickedness Jesus was addressing when he talked to Nicodemus. Jesus said, this is from uh, Matthew 23, verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. They were the teachers of the Jews. But don't do the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Okay, so here's one example of the evil and wickedness that Jesus was referring to when he talked to Nicodemus. Preaching things that they don't practice. Holding other people up to expectations that they don't even meet. Wickedness, evil, those are harsh words. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So a double standard, expecting others to, you know, complaining about and, and belittling others because they don't reach a certain level of goodness or perfection or holiness, but not looking into their own hearts and seeing how far they fall short. Verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. In other words, the outward emblems of their religiosity, they make very blatant and obvious so that they look really, really holy. All their deeds of charity and goodness, they make sure people see them because they're really doing it for the praise of men. Evil, wickedness. It goes on, verse 6, And they love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. This evil, this wickedness, 
includes just liking to be honored, liking the praise of men. And we don't usually think of those sorts of sins when we think of evil and wickedness, but that's what Jesus is talking about. Those are churchy kinds of sins. Those are the sorts of sins that you can get away with and even look good while committing them. But God sees through the external to our hearts, and he wants our hearts. He doesn't just want us to look good. He wants us to be good. So when Jesus talks about wickedness and evil, don't pull yourself out of that category as though you would never do anything wicked or evil. All sin is wicked. All sin is evil. That's why it's so serious. Church darkness is tricky because it's hidden. Jesus reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees. I'll give you an example of them. This is in Matthew 23 over at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Have you ever run your dishes through the dishwasher and then you get out the cereal bowl or whatever to eat and you start eating only then to realize that there's now cement hard gunk all over the inside because it didn't come clean. It just like melted it to the bowl itself. How gross that is. That's in essence what the Pharisees were, what they had become. Really shiny on the outside, disgusting on the inside. And it made Jesus really angry. He goes on in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Church darkness is different from world darkness because church darkness is cloaked in light. It's built on good appearances. But these good appearances can encase evil and wickedness within our hearts and then trap it within us to where we can't escape it. See, every time we, every time we gloss over our sin, no matter how subtle the sin may be, how seemingly minor, every time we gloss over it and act as though it's not a problem or act as though it's not really sin, Every time we pretend to be holier than we are, every time we justify our behavior instead of repenting and confessing, every time we hide some sin in our heart or life rather than coming out about it and asking for forgiveness, every time we medicate away the guilt and shame of something that really is wrong within our hearts, we build a little bit more of our own coffin. And it's a beautiful looking coffin. It looks beautiful. It looks like righteousness and holiness and goodness. And we get trapped within it because then to come out and confess, no, I'm full of dead men's bones. I'm full of sin. I'm full of still neediness for Jesus Christ. There's too much at stake because the appearance looks so good. It would be crushing for the people that sit beside me in the pew to find out that I struggle with this sin or that sin. And so we trap ourselves in our own good appearances. To put it in another image, imagine that you wake up one morning and you have that fever fatigue. You know how you feel when you have a fever? You just feel bad. You take your temperature and sure enough, you have a fever. 
your muscles are kind of achy, have a bit of a headache, throat's a little bit sore, think maybe I have the flu, I don't know. But you remember all these stories about Ebola, and you remember these symptoms kind of match up. So you get on WebMD or whatever, and you start looking, and oh man, this actually does sound also not just like the flu, but also like the beginning signs of Ebola. And then as the day goes on, you start throwing up. Diarrhea sets in. You're like, oh no, this sounds even more like Ebola. And then you see the rash start to come. Your gums start bleeding. And you know, you've watched the news enough, you know this is Ebola. You know that you could leave your house and go and seek treatment. But now you're sweaty and your hair's a mess and you haven't even gotten dressed because you're sick and you're, and you're throwing up and you stink from that and your gums are bleeding and you're a horror to look at. So you think, I'm not leaving the house until I get this under control. Once I get this under control, then I'll go seek treatment. But I'm not going to let anybody see me like this. So then entombed within your house of good appearances, you die. Okay? That's a horrific scenario. But spiritually speaking, that's what happens to so many people in churches. You know, they've grown up in the church. People look at them in a certain way. The Lord makes clear to us in our hearts some sin in our lives and makes us become uncomfortable with it and we start to recognize it for what it is. But we look too good to come out about it and ask for any help or seek prayer or confess to the people we've wronged. So we pretend that it's not there. And we pretend that it's not there and we try to look good until eventually we die. And then we find out that we're one of those people that Jesus comes back and says, you know, I I know that you did a lot of things in my name, but I don't know you. You never came to me openly about your sin and confessed. Exposure is part of the cure for sin. So Jesus isn't just the light in that he shows us the way. He's the light in that he exposes us. But he doesn't expose us to crush us and condemn us. He exposes us to cure us and free us. Exposure is part of Christianity. Okay, if you can do your Christianity without ever being exposed for something dark in your own past or in your own heart, you're, you're not really following Christ because exposure is just part of it. It just is. Now flipping over to 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's sort of two steps to accepting this invitation from hiding out into the light, out into exposure. Step one is just admitting it. Can we just all admit we still have sin? You know, I'm your pastor. I still have sin. I am not perfect. Jesus is perfect. You are not perfect. You still have sin. Your variety of sin is very likely different from my variety of sin. I mean, it's, it's endless, the different sorts of sins that we can get into and the different sorts of temptations that we're vulnerable to. But can we all just admit, we still have sin. We are vulnerable to temptation. We are weak. Jesus is the only perfect one. 
So let's just accept that about ourselves and admit that to ourselves, admit that to our father, admit that to one another. And can we accept that about one another? You know, the people to your right and to your left, they still have sin. The people in front of you and behind you, they still have sin. Admit it. And step two, confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is saying with God that yes, this is sin. Confession is saying to the person, the victim of your sin, I sinned against you in this way, will you forgive me? It's asking forgiveness from God and the people that we've wronged in our sin. How much heartache have we incurred by trying to wriggle out of just facing up to our sins head on? Some of you probably right now are feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit and conviction of sin. And your, your mind is racing. No, it's really not sin. It was a mistake. Trying to justify, trying to wriggle out of it. Or, well, I'll confess that to God, but I'm not going to confess that to him or to her. Because that's going to be too painful. Well, I just would submit to you from personal experience, the longer you try to wriggle out of just humbly confessing, the more miserable you are and the more painful the confession is. You know, we're Christians. We don't have to hide. This was never about us being perfect. We can come out into the light and be exposed and just be open and honest about it. Now, it also might include confession to a trusted friend or counselor that you didn't sin against, but who can help you, who can help you in the repentance process. Okay, but if you are struggling with some sin right now, solo and in secrecy, that darkness is going to kill you. you you've got to come out into the light. Okay, so the invitation is, you don't have to hide. Christian, you don't have to hide. You don't have anything to hide. There should be no skeletons in your closet. Just open it wide up and let Jesus clean it all out. Okay, that's the proposition of Christianity. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. It'll be okay. All right, so the invitation is from hiding to exposure. Secondly, it is from lies to the truth. From deception to the truth. Back in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, I think he's implying that Nicodemus, in order for Nicodemus to become a Christian, to be saved, he's going to have to fess up about some sinfulness within his own heart. It doesn't spell that out, but it just seems to be what he's getting at. So he says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does And you would think he would say the opposite of wicked things and evil things. You would think he would say, but whoever does good things comes into the light. But he doesn't say the alternative to wicked, evil things is good things. He says, whoever does what is true comes into the light. You see, for us, the options aren't be sinful or be awesome. We're never going to be awesome. Jesus is the awesome one. It's be wicked and evil or just be true and, and honest and come to Christ honestly. Look back at 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with God, who is light, with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. We lie. Verse 8. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, the the life in the dark is the life of deception. It's the life of truth management rather than truth practicing. Truth management is where we are always trying to shape other people's perceptions about what is true about us. Even our own perception about what is true about us. Even God's perception about what is true about us. But the invitation is to just quit that job of truth management and come into the light where we get to be truth practicers. You know, like a doctor practices medicine, a lawyer practices law, Christians practice the truth. We get better and better and better at living in accord with what in reality is actually true and speaking what is actually true. We get better and better and better at when one of our brothers and sisters says, how are you doing? Actually answering with truth. And not, oh, I'm great. You know, even though we just argued with our spouse all the way here, we've got tons of sin in our heart from just the morning that we haven't yet confessed and dealt with. Doing great. We can be honest. We can be honest with God. I think one of the reasons that we so seldom pray is that we've got too much deception built up between us and God. And we know that if we face him honestly and look him in the eyes, it's all going to come undone. All the pretense, all the pretending, all the acting is gone. Because he sees us down to the heart. But you know, he loves you in Jesus Christ. And he knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. And he still loves you. And it's not based on your performance or how awesome you are. It's based on how good he is. And what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. So be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Don't, don't try to justify your sin or downplay it. I can quit whenever I want. No, you can't. You're weak. You can't. You need Jesus Christ. It's not that bad. Yes, it is. Jesus had to die for it. A bloody, horrendous death. It is that bad. You can't quit whenever you want. You need Jesus. But the good news is you have him. You can be honest with people. Don't act like you're fine when you're not fine. It seems like a harmless little deception, but it's just another brick in the wall that separates you from people, separates you from God. Don't act like you're fine when you're not. Don't act like you're holy when you're not. Don't just don't act. You don't have to be actors and actresses. Just be you with your bleeding gums and you know all the filth. And then the person beside you will say, oh, He's all messed up too. I guess I don't have to act either. Because we're all in this boat together. You know, there's this myth, I'll call it the butterfly myth, that we can cocoon in our, our little cocoon of deception. The, the perceptions that we have shaped around us, that people think we're a certain way, that we can cocoon within that. And within the cocoon, evolve into that. And then... Then we'll break out of the cocoon of deception and be honest and we'll be beautiful butterflies. But that's not how Christianity works. It, it happens outside of the cocoon. And inside of the cocoon, we just suffocate and die. Christian growth happens in exposure. It happens in the light or it doesn't happen at all. Truth is part of the cure. So the invitation to us to come from out of the darkness into the light is to come out of hiding into exposure, to come out of lies into the truth. And finally, is to come out of isolation into fellowship. Out of isolation 
into fellowship. Now, I'm not talking about coming out of introversion into extroversion to where you used to prefer to be alone with the book, but now you're going to be life of the party. I'm talking about coming out of the isolation that our sin encases us in, where we're afraid to truly be known by anyone. Coming out of that, forsaking it, and embracing real fellowship with people and with God, where we really can pray and go back and forth with God with the word open and in prayer, where we can really look people in the eyes and them see us and us see them, and we can have that shared life in Christ where we pray for one another and truly know one another, that shared foxhole out there in the world together. Back in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, John writes, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's impossible to have fellowship with God while we're walking in darkness. It's impossible to have fellowship with one another while walking in, walking in darkness. It, it just can't be. It never happens. It's not that most of the time your sin keeps you, your hidden sin keeps you from fellowship with God and other people. It's that all of the time, your hidden sin, your, your um, secret sin that you haven't dealt with, the sin that you've justified and lived with, all the time, that cuts you off from fellowship with God and other people. That hobby that you have idolized to the point that that's where you turn for joy and peace and significance and happiness to the point that you've forsaken God and to the point that you've neglected people, that ongoing sin that perhaps you've justified has cut you off from fellowship with God. And it has cut you off from fellowship with people. And you need to just come out with it and be done with it. Now, that ongoing struggle with pornography that you have surrounded with deception, that you feel like, well, this time is definitely the last time, but you know it's not. That has cut you off from fellowship with God. That has cut you off from fellowship with one another. That bitterness that you've harbored in your heart, that refusal to forgive that person, even though you know Jesus tells you to forgive, that has cut you off from fellowship with God. That has cut you off from fellowship with other people. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not perfect, you can't have fellowship with God. I'm saying that if you... Go on with unrepentant sin, hidden sin. You can't fellowship with him at the same time. There's no need for us to do that. I'm also not saying that if you struggle with the sin, the temptation is strong and your weakness is so real that you keep falling into it. I'm not saying that that makes it impossible for you to fellowship with God and people. But if you hide it, it does. There are Christians who are walking in the spirit who are still so vulnerable and so weak to certain sins that they still repeatedly fall into it. But that's temporary. Even if it lasts for years, it's temporary. And you can struggle through that openly in fellowship with God and people. Get some good counsel. Get some good friends to pray for you. Don't, don't try to wrestle these sins down and perfect yourself and then come out and then try to have fellowship. Fellowship is part of the cure. 
Exposure, truth, fellowship. These things are part of the cure of sin. We don't cure sin and then embrace these things. So I want to conclude just by pointing out to you a false gospel and the true gospel. There's a false gospel that many of us in the church believe and have grown up believing. And that is you go to church, you be a part of a church, you do really good, you read your Bible, you say your prayers, you perfect yourself, and then God will accept you. That's not how it works. Okay, put that over here. The true gospel is God came to us. The light came into the world. He died for all of our imperfections so that in him we could be forgiven and cleansed. In Jesus Christ, even though we're still imperfect, we are accepted already. We are forgiven. Okay, that's the true gospel. See this one for what it is. Lies, death, deception. This is where life is. Embrace this gospel. Embrace Jesus Christ. Embrace the light. Embrace exposure. Embrace the truth. Embrace fellowship. Forsake hiding and lies and isolation. Jesus is standing here with his hand out to us. He's not standing there with a stern face. He's saying, come on, you don't have to live in the darkness. Come on. I want to encourage you to act now. Set your mind and heart to act now. Some sin that you've refused to admit, admit it. Some sin that you've refused to confess, confess it. Some lie that you've been maintaining, forsake that lie and turn to the truth. Turn to God, turn to your other people, your brothers and sisters. You will find love, you will find forgiveness, you will find grace through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ that we do not have to crawl around in the darkness in fear and in shame and in guilt and in hiding, but that we can just stand up and we can accept your invitation and we can go to Jesus Christ and we can have that bright light, that divine light expose us for everything that's within us and can have you to forgive us and cleanse us and we can have real relationship with you and with people as humble, forgiven sinners. The freedom of that, Lord, may, may we all taste the freedom of the light together. In Jesus' name, amen.